This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello. Welcome to this qualification meeting. I am a food addict from Tennessee, and I am your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, I am a food addict, and as far as I know, I was born a food addict. I'm not somebody who got heavy after I quit smoking or got heavy after I got married or after I had babies. I've had an issue with food as long as I can remember. My parents uh, will detail the things I did with food at two years old. Uh, I waited till the family went to sleep at night and I snuck in the refrigerator to eat. And when I got through eating, I played. That means I smeared it all over everything, the floor, the cabinet. <laughs> and uh, that was kind of the beginning of my my road or my journey with food addiction. I did not come into this program realizing that I was a food addict, but uh, the truth is I believe I was born a food addict. I don't remember a time where food wasn't an issue in my life, and when I say issue, we had quite a little episode at the dinner table every night. Uh, I had a real aversion to certain smells, certain textures, certain colors in food. But if it was a food that I liked to eat, I ate plenty of it. If it was food that I didn't like to eat, I learned to gag and to throw up so that I could have my way at the dinner table. I grew up in a family with four children. Three of the children were boys and one was a girl. And uh, I always had a feeling that the other children got more food than I did. and. Uh, I know that's not true because my mother tried to divide everything equally four ways. But I always sat and compared what I got compared to what my brothers got and felt like I was, I was being somehow cheated. Uh, I can remember when I sat down to the dinner table, I was always worried about whether I was going to get a certain thing at the dinner table or whether somebody else was going to finish it before I got it. Uh, I mentally obsessed constantly about food. My favorite foods, of course, were sugar and flour products. So uh, I was not uh, above licking my fingers and sticking them in the sugar bowl. Uh, I also loved to sneak into the kitchen to get a slice of, uh, only to sneak back and get two slices of, and, and then to wad them up in my hand as I ran to the bathroom so that nobody would see me. And the next thing you know, half of the loaf was gone. And my mother would say, who ate it? And I learned at an early age how to lie. 
I figured there were four children in that family. They couldn't possibly suspect me. But I was the only child in the family that was sneaking and lying about food. I didn't know why I was like that. I thought that somehow I was a bad person. Uh, I remember my mother using certain terminology that I, I was a sneak. I was a liar. She said I was a glutton. I didn't really know what a glutton was. I know what a glutton is today, but I didn't know why I was like that. I, I just had always been that way. What I realize today is, is that I, I, I believe I was filling uh, a void in my life, and I was filling it with food. Food was love to me. That's, that's the way I saw food. Uh, my parents grew up during the Depression and went through a war where food was either you didn't have it or it was rationed. So the rule in our family was you were to sit down to the dinner table and eat everything in front of you. And uh, they always had the story about the starving children in the world, and that frightened me. I had a disease of fear, doubt, and insecurity, so I was always frightened that we wouldn't have enough food someday. So consequently, what I did is I just ate more of it. I wanted to make sure that I had plenty of food. Uh, my dad was a military man. We did a lot of traveling. Uh, today, I can look at that and see that there was a lot of fear about traveling for me. Um, also, there was a lot of fear in my life because I was always afraid that my father might get killed in a war. And uh, we moved to Germany when I was young, and we lived under constant threat of uh, evacuation that the Russians might invade. And so every household had to be prepared to evacuate, and in that preparation, they had to have food. And so food was stored in the basement for such an event, except there was one member of the family who ate that food. I'd sneak into the basement and open the cans and the packages, and I would eat it. And I can't tell you, other than I know today it's because I'm a food addict and I was full of fear, uh, that was what I did. That was my behavior. My mother had to watch everything that came into the house because she got, my dad got paid once a month. That food had to last the whole month for a family of six. So uh, every time I went in and helped myself to something, I was selfishly not thinking about what the rest of the family was going to have. So it was quite an issue in our house that I was forever sneaking into the food. Uh, my mother had to hide things like baby aspirin, X-lax, cough syrup, because if it tastes sweet to me, I really couldn't, you know, I, I had to have that. It was like it was pleasing to me. So she would hide them, I would find them, and I would ingest them. Um, so I don't, I just, I just didn't know why I was like that. I, I had the concept that somehow I was a bad person. Uh, my brothers weren't like that. Uh, I remember that my brothers wouldn't finish what was on their plate. And when I got old enough to help around the house, my job was to set the table. And my job was to clear the table and to wash the dishes. And I was instructed to scrape those plates into the garbage. And when nobody was looking, I would go into the garbage and I would eat what my brothers didn't finish. And... Um, I, I remember being caught, and I had both cheeks filled, and my mother asked me, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. 
uh, I, I just, you know, I could be caught red-handed, and I still would stand there and tell a bald-faced lie because I felt that somehow I was going to get in a lot of trouble for that. Uh, I think my mother was very concerned. She decided at some point uh, in my growing up that I had a tendency to be heavy. Now, I don't quite know what that means, but what it meant to her was that she was going to proportion my plates. Well, the war began because that just really caused me to go out and do some more of the, of the behavior of sneaking, stealing, hiding food. I would steal money from her purse. I would go to the store and buy whole boxes of confections and eat them uh, before I ever got home. Uh, I was given lunch money every day, and I would take that money and I would buy sugary, sweet products. And when lunchtime came, I had no money. So I would borrow from some of the other kids, and uh, promising that I would pay it back the next day. But I knew I couldn't do that because then I'd have to tell my family where I'd spent my money. And if I couldn't steal the money, then I couldn't pay back the money. And I remember one girl in particular, every day she would reach into her purse to give me lunch money not knowing that my father had given me lunch money and I'd already spent it. Uh, I also remember in the cafeteria when people weren't finishing what was on their plate, I would go around and ask them if I could have it. And it was a little embarrassing, but the food was so important to me. It was like I really had a need for this food. Uh, I'm not going to go into my childhood and the dysfunction in my family or any of that because, like I said, I believe I was born a food addict. And I don't think it was something necessarily that happened in my family. Uh, I think there was a lot of fear, doubt, and insecurity in my life, but that was centered around just about everything. I was afraid of everything. Um, I used to lay awake at night when other children should be sleeping, and I was worrying about those little starving children in the world, or I was worrying about things that hadn't happened yet. I buried my father 500 times, I know. I cried every time I buried him in my head, and what it did was it just made me want to eat more. Uh, I left home early in life. I uh, eloped at 17. Uh, my parents were very disappointed. Uh, they tried to get an annulment, uh, but they couldn't get an annulment. And so when I left home at 17, I weighed 120 pounds. I was in my senior year in high school. I hadn't finished. And um, my, my husband was in college, and uh, we... Uh, went against my parents' wishes, and I moved away. The first year that I moved away was the first time I ever had the weight problem. Uh, within less than six months, I weighed 150 pounds, and I didn't know anything about dieting. I'd never dieted. My mother had proportioned my plates, and she became the enemy. Uh, so my relationship with her was very, very strained, and my father was just the opposite. My father was the one that would wake me up at 3 in the morning and say, come into the kitchen, but don't tell your mother what we're doing. So we would be in the kitchen concocting things. And so here I am, a married lady at 17, uh, far away from home, doing a lot of crying, and I did a lot of eating. And I'm faced with a weight problem. My clothes didn't fit. 
I didn't know what to do, and a kind lady who I decided to get a job, and a kind lady at the job uh, asked me why I was crying so much. And I told her that I was getting fatter and I didn't know what to do about it. So she gave me a little booklet that taught me how to count calories. And she told me that if I kept the calorie count at a 1,000 calories, I would lose my weight. And when I lost the weight, then I just kept the calorie count at 150 or 1,500 calories a day. So I thought, well, that's simple. She said, just write down what you're going to eat, count the calories. So I went up and down the aisles of the grocery store looking for all the things that I could eat that was low in calorie. And I kept it at 1,000. So I quickly lost my weight and thought that I had it made for life. I remember thinking, this is so easy. I've memorized the calorie count and all of the things I like. And uh, so I, can, I don't have to write it down anymore. Well, the next thing you know, I was eating more than 1,500 calories a day. But what I decided to do then was just to not eat the next day. That was simple. So I ate over today. Tomorrow I won't eat. So I started trying to regulate my weight that way. Then I got a brilliant idea that I had a brother who was very, very thin, and my mother used to say to him, if you would quit smoking, you'd gain weight. Well, the light bulb went off in my brilliant head. If I would start smoking, I'd lose weight. So even though it made me deathly ill and I passed out twice, I learned how to smoke. And guess what? I didn't lose weight. I gained a three-pack a day addiction. I don't call it a habit. I call it an addiction. So here I was smoking like a chimney, binging my brains out, and uh, I was miserable. So about that time in my life, uh, somebody introduced me to a diet pill. I'd never heard of a diet pill. I remember my mother used to have these little uh, products. Uh, She used to hide them under. She had to hide everything from me. She hid them under the bed. They were wrapped up much like a confection. And I would go in there and eat those things by the dozen. But she used it, I guess, as, as a form of dieting. And that was the only thing I knew about real, real dieting. And I'd never heard of a diet pill. So I got diet pills. And I thought I was in heaven. Again, I had the solution. All I had to do was take a diet pill. And you know what? I had all the energy in the world. I'd stay up all night long cleaning and obsessing and going like crazy. Well, uh, a friend of mine got on diet pills with me, and we decided that we would diet together. And then we decided it would be brilliant if we only ate one thing a day. And so that's what we did. We wanted to get our weight off quickly, and I ate one thing a day. But what I didn't tell her was I went to the bathroom and I purged it because I wanted to beat her. So my weight came off very rapidly. I was almost at a manic state on the diet pills. Sometimes I didn't wait the full length of time for the diet pills to run out. I'd take another diet pill. I smoked a whole lot, and uh, I would purge the one thing that I ate. Uh, I got down to 97 pounds, and I remember standing in the mirror looking at my stomach, and thinking if I could lose five more pounds, if I could just lose five more pounds. And uh, I didn't know at the time. I'd never heard of anorexia or bulimia. I didn't realize what a sick person I was. But I never got the five pounds off. 
uh, it got to the point I couldn't get the diet pills anymore. They put a, a real restraint on diet pills. So, you know, we'd find somebody who knew somebody who knew a trucker who had what I thought were diet pills, but I think they called them black beauties or something. But this was a respectable woman here, a wife and a mother, and here I was on diet pills. Uh, what happened with my weight is, is it gradually got higher. So I started the whole series of dieting. I mean, I went from one place to another place, liquid diets. Uh, I just can't even begin to tell you all, all the diets that, that I've heard. I've probably done most of them. I could lose the weight. I couldn't keep it off. And once I started eating, I could stop. All bets were off. Uh, one program, I had it so manipulated that, you know, I realized if I starve for three days before I go to weigh in, I could lose a quarter of a pound and then we could all go celebrate and eat. And that's the way I did for many, many years. Uh, I never really ever made it to gold there. And it got to the point I was almost afraid to go back because I was afraid some kind of a buzzer was going to go off that said, this woman doesn't do this right. Uh, by the time I came into this program, many, many things had happened in my life. Uh, my husband had been killed in Vietnam. I was 23 years old when he was killed. I was full of fear, doubt, and insecurity. I had gone from my father's house to my husband's house. I didn't have an education other than I did finish my high school education, and I ate. I did a lot of eating. I remarried within a two-year period uh, to a man uh, who I'm still married to today, 41 years later. Uh, but uh, he was in the military also, and uh, we went to England. I had two little children, and I ate. Uh, I found out, because my child was British, that I was, uh, I was able to have the national health. And when I had the national health, I could get diet pills. So there I was again back on the diet pills and I had two children I was so full of fear because I didn't really know how to take care of them I had too much pride to ask anybody for a suggestion or any help I couldn't let anybody know how frightened I was because I was afraid they'd take my children away from me so I would eat and I would take diet pills and I eventually got a doctor to give me some librium, libriums so I was doing a little of all of that um, what I can tell you is my disease just continued to progress. Uh, you might see me at one point at 120. You might see me at another point at 179. I remember when my all-time high was 120, and then it was 137, and then it was 149, and then it was 158, until finally I was up to 250 pounds, and I don't know how I got there. I got there from dieting because I was constantly on a diet. I never sat down to the dinner table with my family that I didn't say, I'm on a diet. But what I didn't tell the family was how many boxes and bags of things that I had eaten before I got to that dinner table. And then after the family went to bed, I was back in the cabinets and the cupboards again, gorging on salty, sweet, greasy, sugary products, but not eating healthy food. I mentioned uh, last night in a meeting that I used to buy the healthy foods, but I put them in the, in the refrigerator and they'd grow penicillin because I wasn't eating them. It was going bad. I would throw good food away because I couldn't seem to make myself do what it is that I do today. Uh, I came into this program 
when my children were very small. We'd come back from England. I was close to 250 pounds, and uh, I went into a 12-step program, and I, I heard for the first time uh, that there was something called 12 steps. Uh, the problem is I went to that meeting, and I heard a lot of people talking about God, and I thought to myself, I cannot wait to get out of here. I have my own religion. This is a bunch of people that are not talking about diets. So I left that program only to walk back in 27 years later, weighing 200, close to 250 pounds. I had been up and down and all around, and I came with a friend, and I heard uh, someone stand in that meeting in a petite little body, and she said, sugar and flour are addictive. And I didn't remember ever hearing that word before. And I remember I felt like somebody had hit me right between the eyes. Addictive? I didn't even like the word addict. I'm not an addict. I'm a mother and a wife, and I'm a respectable citizen, but I'm not an addict. But it fascinated me because these people were in what I'd call normal bodies, and they were saying that their life was second to none. So I went away from that meeting, just wanted to find out if I could go through a whole day without eating any sugar or flour. No diet had I ever been on was there no sugar or flour because I always made sure that I could work that into my diet. And uh, I went away for a week. I came back the next week. Uh, I went right to the grocery store looking for everything I could eat that didn't have sugar and flour. It's not the food I eat today, but uh, that being said, I came back the next week and I listened some more. And I went back out for another week trying to eat no sugar and flour. By the third week, a lady walked up to me and she asked me, did I need a sponsor? I don't remember hearing anything about a sponsor. I was in a food fog. I was sitting back there trying to figure out what they eat. I didn't hear any of the things that I hear today. But I said, I guess so. And she said, well, are you willing to do what I do? Well, I'm a great liar. I'd lie to my mother. And I said, well, sure, because I thought if I said that, she'd give me the diet. So she said, are you willing to go to any length? I didn't know what length she was talking about. I know today what length she's talking about, but I didn't know then. But I said, sure. So she asked me to call her at a quarter to six in the morning. And that started what I consider the greatest gift that has ever been given to me. Uh, I got abstinent. I lost weight rapidly. I lost 110 pounds quickly. But then I had to deal with the rest of it. And I'm still in recovery. I'm still grateful for where this, this program has taken me. I had what you'd call a resentment toward my mother, but to, to be truthful, it was full-blown hatred. She was the controller of my food. I hated her. And today, I look at her and I love her and I just think how much she tried to help me, but I couldn't see that. I was very selfish, very self-centered. I only thought about what I wanted and not about anybody else or how it might have been hurtful to her the way that I treated her. But today, because of the recovery I'm in, my relationships are different. I thought I had a relationship with the God of my understanding, but I really had a relationship with food. 
And this program has taught me that not only can I have a better relationship with my family, my husband, my children, I've developed a wonderful relationship with two little children in Tennessee, my grandchildren, but my relationship with my higher power is unbelievable. My, rate, my relationship with my higher power to me is what is so important because that's where I get love. Food is not love. I thought food was love. I remember thinking, but you, you people just don't get it. I just love food. Well, I did love food, but I was using food very much like I used the other drugs in my life. And I don't do that today. Uh, I came from a military family, so when I came in, I heard something called the drill. And I've heard people say they thought the drill was just a little too militaristic. Well, let me tell you, I needed that because that drill gave me a formula for living my life. My life was out of control. But I did the drill. I stood up and I, I talked about the drill and I did the drill. I got on my knees just as it was suggested to me every morning. And I asked my higher power, if it be his will, that I might have an abstinent day. I also took quiet time. I had a party going on in my head. I couldn't do quiet time. I couldn't do five minutes of quiet time. What did she mean, quiet time? Today, if I'm going to overdose on anything, I think it's going to be quiet time because I love being still and I love being quiet and I love that feeling that I get from knowing what peace really is. I didn't know what peace was. I'd never had peace in my life. Serenity is not a foreign word to me today. Uh, I read the 24-hour-a-day book. I did certain things. I called people. I, and then we wrote postcards to people. Uh, three meetings were suggested. I remember uh, I was told uh, as a suggestion three meetings, and I thought, well, I work. I'm going to do Saturdays only. Well, that doesn't work according to certain people in this program. So for whatever reason, I did three meetings. And my sponsor suggested that when I got on my knees every morning that I ask God for help to be open-minded to the suggestions of this program. I still ask God for open-mindedness. I ask God for willingness and honesty. I've got to tell you, when I'm in the kitchen, nobody else is in that kitchen with me except my higher power. And I cannot fool my higher power. Let me tell you, I've tried. I was busy for years fooling my higher power, trying to tell my higher power my version of the story. doesn't work that, for, that way for me today. Today, thank you, God, when I get in that kitchen, I ask God to help me. God is my higher power to help me. Help me to be honest. Help me to be open-minded. Help me to be willing to do what it is that I need to do today. I believe I've been given the greatest gift that anybody ever gave me. I thought my children were, but I've got to tell you, nothing, nothing is more important to me than this program because this program is saving my life. Uh, my disease is alive and well today. I'm in a normal body, but I know for a fact that uh, my disease would really love to kill me. I was recently in an area where there were tornadoes. My house was not hit, uh, but I went down to help people uh, to gather their goods to move to another location because their homes were wiped out. And I was thinking how wonderful it was to be serene and peaceful and to be able to help somebody else instead of thinking of myself. 
And somebody walked by with a tray of confections and said, Here, do you want one? Well, my hand went in my pocket and my tongue said, No, thank you. But my brain said, Oh! (laughs) And I said, Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I automatically know that that is not something that I need to do. But I also realized that, you know what, that was a very emotional situation for me. And I have this wonderful ability because my disease tells me I'm okay when I'm not okay. It probably wasn't a good place for me to be for very long at a time. I did limit it to three hours. And in that three hours, I realized when I got home, you know, I have a lot to be grateful for. It went right over my house, less than an eighth of a mile to my neighbor's. And I kind of just thought nothing of that. But what I realized today is is that I have the ability to swallow things, to swallow my emotions. This program has taught me how to deal with them. I don't have to react, but I can address them. And uh, that's not anything that anybody ever taught me when I was growing up. And I don't blame anybody for that because I believe that my own family have their own issues with addiction and uh, this program just has taught me that I can live a life second to none just like the people that I heard when I came into the program so uh, I like to say that uh, I heard long time ago from somebody in program FA means free at last I feel like that I am free at last food is not my God Food is not something that has control over me today. It could if I got very sloppy about what I do. I cannot afford to get complacent. I am in an isolated area with no FA meetings, and so I depend on this program and the tools of recovery that we we talk about. I depend on the telephone. I depend on meetings. I depend on all of you to help me to stay abstinent because I've got to tell you I came from an area where we have meetings and we had uh, people and I came to an area where people aren't willing to do what I do but I'm grateful every day that this program was given to me and that I had a good rock solid foundation before I moved where I moved Um, I hope that I live to be a hundred And if I live to be 100, I hope that I will still be doing this program. It's a delight when my grandchildren ask me, Grammy, why do you eat like that? And I tell them, because it's healthy for me. And because I eat like this, I can get down on the floor and play with you. Uh, This week, my grandchildren and I went to the YMCA with other children, about 80 other children, and I played shark. And I had the time of my life chasing children in the pool, playing shark. My husband said, aren't you a little old for that? (laughs) Well, you know what? When I was 36, I couldn't have done that. At 66, it's amazing what I can do. My fears, sometimes I still have fears. I just don't hang out there long. I consider it a bad neighborhood. I roll up the windows, I lock the doors, and I get the heck out of there. I call on my higher power to give me whatever it is I need. I think of the first three steps as being, I'm powerless, he's powerful, I think I'll ask him. And so when I ask God for the strength to do things, I can do anything. There's nothing I can't do. 
Um, when I was a child, my biggest fear was Africa. I went to Africa in January and had the time of my life. I went on a safari, and let me tell you, I wouldn't have wanted to miss that for anything in the world. In my disease, I would have never gone to Africa because it was too scary. And uh, I absolutely had the time of my life because I got to meet a person who's doing F.A. in Kenya. And we got together for an abstinent meal. And I don't think life gets any better than that. If it does, I just don't even know if I could take it. I don't know if I could stand it. So, um, yeah, my life is second to none. Uh, my doctors are amazed that at 66 I'm on no medication. They're amazed that physically I'm pretty fit. Uh, there's a few little issues in my life right now that have nothing to do with my food or nothing to do with my weight. And uh, it's life. It's life on life terms. But I've turned that over to God, and I live my life one day at a time. I remember asking uh, the woman that asked me to sponsor her, do I have to do this the rest of my life? And she said, Sue, what is the rest of your life? You've only been given today. And you know that's the very thing that has helped me to stay abstinent one day at a time. If I think about the rest of my life, I get so overwhelmed. My stomach gets in my throat and I can't function. And today I can do anything. I can do this program one day at a time. And I've been doing it one day at a time. What I heard when I came into this program was hope. If anybody can get hope from what I'm saying today, please give God the glory. Thank you. Will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.